Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Hey folks, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven, eight-figure Amazon sellers. So today we're in the middle of a discussion with Yoni Kuzminski of MultiplyMe.com and uh, we're talking really about the bigger picture planning for your business and it's often something that entrepreneurs shy away from because they quite rightly think that just thinking too much and not taking action will lead to no result. This is true. But if you're listening to this and you're one of the, the target listeners, six, seven, eight-figure Amazon seller, you're already doing stuff. Your business is busy the time the time you invest in standing back and thinking and planning and getting a clarity about the big picture of where you want to go with your business i think is immense i think the payoff from that is just massive and not many people i know do enough of that weirdly enough the most successful business owners i find are a weird mixture of very very action focused but also very willing to take the time out to reflect so i would say that's a bit of a hint to you if you're not doing that yet as the value of that so let's keep listening and do take some notes from yoni's wisdom uh, a lot of great stuff here for the serious business owner hopefully we'll get you out of that whole working too hard and uh, seeing too little result for it sort of trap that a lot of us find ourselves in and move towards having that feeling of control and really knowing that what you're doing has an impact so stay tuned enjoy the show okay cool so let's just deal with uh, a couple of those things so this sounds like reasonably straightforward stuff from the high level they're not difficult questions to ask i guess they're hard to answer right but what would you say is it that stops people actually doing this because i'm sure that quite a few people listening will have vaguely heard of the business model canvas but why don't people actually get down to this stuff or, or what are the mistakes they do when they do yeah i would say that you know the the, the typical entrepreneur is trying to dive in and just say well, well we'll figure it out we'll just keep you know we'll keep pushing We'll just keep pushing and we'll see what sticks. And, you know, I could keep throwing a million cliches out to, you know, fail to plan, plan to fail. You have to have something in place in order to understand what you're measuring again. So I would say that while it's very tempting to simply just get going and, and run forward, I would say that the quote that exists on every one of the decks that we typically sent out in our consulting practice is that it's an Abraham Lincoln quote and it says, if I had four hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first, I'd spend the first, sorry, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening my axe. And so okay. the whole, you know, the whole notion of having a game plan. So when you have a business model canvas, and so they're not they're not doing it because it's much more tempting to simply say, right, well, I found the product where I source it from in China or Vietnam or Thailand or wherever I'm sourcing from. I've got it to Amazon. I'm understanding where it sits. You know, this is all good. It's with FBA. We're starting to sell. But what it doesn't allow you to do if you don't have this level of plan, and this is very baseline planning, but, but if you don't have that level of planning in place, then you might have rapid swings to say, right, well, this product didn't work. I'm going to start a whole new product and new shipment, new freight container. Whereas if you really track and measure and understand, well, this is the 
degrees in which I'm prepared to operate within, I'm making micro adjustments. I'm not sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, every time things don't go to plan. You know, if you have a series of parameters from a business perspective that you operate inside of, you can make adjustments without a plan. You're simply flying blind. And so, yeah, to get back to it, I'm a, I'm a big believer. As much as I love to be the entrepreneur and start, you know, I'm running two businesses here. We've got 100 and whatever team members on staff and we're already thinking about, well, what's the next business that we're working on and we're building technology and all these things. Every time that we're going through this process, we're still building a plan and we're saying, well, what does success actually look like 12 months from now, three years from now? You know, what are we trying to achieve? Is that realistic? Is that attainable? Is that a smart goal, specific, measurable, I, f- I forget, attainable, time, whatever. <laughs> what is, I'm just trying to remember. So specific, <laughs> yeah. measurable, appropriate, realistic, timed, I think. But people come up with a different version every, every year. But you're right. It's got to be the same sort of basics. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, failure to plan, plan to fail is, is a classic one. But also there's there's a British version that, that involves swearing, which I'll try and stay away from, from American cousins who seem to not like swearing. Bless them. I, I, I'm always uh, amazed at how polite Americans are compared to Brits. I'm sure that they have a, an idea that we're polite over here, but we're not really. But yeah, the, the other thing I, I like is that uh, Abraham Lincoln quote. I mean, basically, I suppose what you're saying is that planning is basically sharpening your you know, your weapons. And that's actually the best use of the time, even though it doesn't feel like it feels like you should be hacking at a tree with a blunt piece of wood. I like that a lot. So let's transition. I've just got one more question that I wanted to ask about this. I mean, you talk about what does success look like 12 months from now, two years, etc. At some point, as you said, let's reverse. Let's let's deal with that three to five year horizon where it's a, for a lot of the people that, that I deal with as clients or colleagues of mine, the idea is to sell a business. But obviously, a lot of us don't really think much beyond that because it's such a big objective and the money is so attractive. I mean, you know, a seven figure exit, which is extremely achievable for a lot of people with a healthy multiple because their business is defensible and has got a decent um, EBITDA or SDE, i.e. pre-tax profit, right? whatever we're going to call it. But most people don't have a game plan for what happens after that that sale, as you pointed out to me before the show. So tell me more about that. I mean, what what's how do you even plan for that? Suddenly yeah. you're off the merry-go-round. You've gone for your eighty-hour work weeks, and then whoosh, tumbleweed. Yeah. So I'll tell you another great person to speak to about this topic in even greater detail, and that would be a guy by the name of Ryan Tansom, who has a podcast called intentional growth if i'm not mistaken and we we sat down we had a great chat about this and you know these are a lot of the clients that that i'm working with too they're looking to exit in the next you know 12 18 24 months and i think one of the things that you need to consider as well when while it is super attractive to exit that business and i would also say as well if you know the the business valuations are not always going to be the same things shift, there's also more risk as your business grows and with more risk becomes more liability and more liability means that, you know, things might not, you know, come to fruition. So I would say that one of the important things when you're considering exit is, well, what does my life look like today? You know, are you drawing money from the business? I would say typically Amazon businesses, you know, we were talking about it before, they're not drawing all that much money because it's very expensive to continue to reinvest and and do larger and larger inventory runs. So that becomes an issue. You know, one of the inhibitors for people to grow is that growth capital. How do I keep financing this and, you know, 
I've mortgaged the house. I'm taking on, you know, all the different channels and vehicles that enable you to borrow money. But I'll say that the considerations are, well, what does my lifestyle look like today? Could I perceivably keep running this business for the next 10, 20, 30 years, to grow, even maintain and stay relevant and I'm taking money every year and, and living a good life? Because as soon as you sell that business, be it a huge payout or a decent payout or an enormous payout, whatever it looks like, that is, that's the end of the honey well right there. So you really have to think about, well, what am I going to do with that investment? You can't just simply say, right, I'm going to buy three Ferraris and a boat and two houses. You're really going to be, um, you're really going to need to focus on what your life looks like. So how you can invest that money. So I would say really, like if you take anything away from this this episode, it's it's think about what your options look like and plan out what the next stage is. That makes sense. Uh, I like the, the reality check, by the way, you're not going to buy two Ferraris, a boat and two houses. There, there is something about the... That's a good phrase. There's something about the word million that has culturally, particularly, I guess, in America, but it's kind of like, you know, when America sneezes, Britain catches cold and probably the same in Australia from what I can gather is that the word millionaire has got such a ring to it. But that's from the 1920s. There's this thing called inflation. So a million isn't what it used to be. I mean, like a million would probably buy a third of a house in my street here. I mean, and then, you know, you still got a mortgage for the rest of it and then you got to eat and then you don't actually have a car. So, yes, it, it's actually it's a significant enough, enough amount of money to be a really big goal, but weirdly not big enough to solve a lot of life's problems. Right. So it's, it's just about enough for a retirement fund for one or two people, I guess, isn't it? So I guess what you're saying is it's it's not quite enough to live on. I mean, so what how do people actually deal with this? And there's clients that you've worked with. If you work with clients who've gone through an exit and what do they actually typically do when they've actually sold an amazon-based business for example yeah so so the the easiest answer to that is that typically speaking most people will go again virtually straight away so they'll take the learnings that they've had in building that first business and they'll go straight into selling on amazon into that second business because the opportunity is still absolutely there you know if you can get that exit on the books and you have some level of financial security you don't reinvest every last cent into the newest business and you don't you know buy buy these ferraris and you know i mean that million dollars wouldn't even buy half of this apartment this tiny little apartment that i'm sitting in in the so yeah i mean you really have to be talking about eight you know eight figure exits these days for it to to last a, an absolute lifetime which is pretty pretty crazy to think so that's typically the next move is is getting back into it, learning and running things more efficiently than they had taking on that learning. If you have a non-compete with that specific product, then, you know, you, you should probably also, when you're looking to exit, really understand what the terms look like and what does that deal look like? There's lots of different and interesting ways in which particularly the aggregators are looking to acquire businesses. You know, you can sell off a large portion of it and remain as product development. In, in some instances and continue to do what it is you've done and reap sort of the back-end benefits of the growth of the business and additional product categories. So, yeah, long, long, long answer for what should have just been something very simple is they're typically jumping straight back into it or, like we discussed before, you know, becoming a consultant and saying, well, this is what I've achieved, this is how I can achieve it for you too and take you through that process, which I think both very viable solutions. 
That's great. And I know I like uh, the reality checks in there. No need to apologize for the detail. As you said, I've not heard anyone articulate that. But frankly, you need an eight figure exit to last a lifetime, which sounds ridiculous. But when you run the numbers, if you live in anywhere with any kind of cost, I had no idea Tel Aviv was so expensive, but North London's like that. And, you know, particularly well, London for start, New York, San Francisco, I know Sydney is just crazy, crazy expensive because the prices didn't really get down because they didn't really have a financial well, crisis in 2008, right? So it's, uh, yeah, a lot of locations in the world where you do need really serious money just to buy a flat and to sit in it without I live eating. in the fourth, the fourth most expensive city on planet Earth right now in Tel Aviv. Very interesting. I had no idea, but I mean, yeah, that goes to show that there's many, many locations in the planet where life is that expensive. And so, yeah, even if you live somewhere cheap, I guess, you know, like it comes down to personal planning, doesn't it? So I guess we ought to give you a chance to to remind us what it is you do because you've got the two sort of offers. So just uh, remind me, so you've got Ascala and Multiply Me. So just lay out for me what the difference is and what you do for people. Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep them separate. So Ascala is, their end to, is, is effectively it's a management consultancy focused on process improvement where what we do is we systemize your business, specifically in the e-commerce space. So we will come in. And we will analyze, assess, we won't use the word audit again, <laughs> what is happening inside of the business. Based on your current state processes, we'll then make a series of recommendations that might be seven, might be 27 on how do we make your company. And what that looks like is typically a two to four month project, depending on the size of the business, sometimes it can go up to 12 months where two of these consultants will actually build in your optimal workflow, right tech deck that you need, the P's, the videos, documentation. We effectively commit the business to an operating system and it helps effectively, you know, like we said before, remove you from any of the nuanced details inside of it and enables you to continue to do the things you love while while having a system in place. It also obviously really helps businesses set up for exit. So you know, based on knowledge transfer and the SOPs, if a potential acquirer can understand very clearly what it is that your business does, it becomes more attractive to additional buyers. So that's that's the Escala offering. Multiply Me is our end-to-end executive search and HR function in the Philippines where we'll actually help guide you through the types of roles that you need. So rather than having, and we won't, we won't place a VA, a virtual assistant. I don't like that term by any stretch of the imagination actually if anyone you speak to my operation talks to you they'll tell you how much i hate it because it ruins someone's career so we're looking for ppc specialists inventory or logistics specialists creative directors designers web developers specialized skills that we help define the roles and responsibilities inside of the business we'll then go and source that talent we'll vet we'll go through sometimes hundreds of candidates to get to a top three and then once assuming one of them is is the right fit then they'll move to the onboarding stage where we help build the kpis and expectations we handle the performance management ongoing we do the internal or sort of the external hr function for you so the whole objective is how do we better integrate personnel who are even ones that are familiar with working with remote teams, how do we make sure that it sticks and it's something that is viable? Because even even if staff is significantly cheaper in the Philippines, if they're not a right fit culturally and there's an output and a service delivery, it doesn't work. So don't don't also look at it as, well, 
this is a solution to all of my problems and it's way cheaper, you also have to have that level of investment and understanding, well, I need to understand how to be a better manager in order to achieve it too. Yeah, it makes sense. And by the way, yeah, I'm not a big fan of virtual assistants for the simple reason they're not virtual, they're real people. It's just that the contact form happens to be online, but then you and I aren't virtual, we're just talking online, everything's online now. I think that the pandemic, if nothing else, has, has forced everyone to stop this artificial differentiation between online and offline working as if there's somehow uh, it's a different mode of communication and it has its limitations but the work is just as real so yeah absolutely with you and by the way also i've got a, a va i suppose i would call normally just because it's lazy language and everyone gets what i mean but an assistant in the philippines who works with me and and she i would hire her on the spot in london in fact i would struggle to find somebody with her work ethic in london not to say that in london because it's so multinational a lot of people can't really speak good english her, her english is superb so there are some amazing people in the philippines also happen to be more affordable but i would say amazing people is the key yeah, to your point and obviously that's what you guys are amazing at so if people want to use the, let's let's just separate this out then so if people want to get in touch with you at a scala I'm, I'm guessing that like most management consultants you offer some kind of free consulting call is that right and, and if so how do people get hold of yeah that? so so you can check out weareascala.com and on it there's actually a booking link that's to my Calendly, I'll walk you through exactly what it means. I'll actually take you through visually what the experience looks like. And from there, we'll, we'll give you a free consult where you'd sit with our director of consulting and my co-founder, and he would actually ask you a whole series of questions about, well, what's happening in your business? What are the challenges? What's the problem that you really need to solve? And so I'd say, if nothing else, it's going to help you think about your business a little differently. Yeah, I'm always a big fan and without wasting other people's time of, of saying to my clients, if in doubt, go and talk to experts in this stuff, particularly when it comes to people who buy and sell businesses because they look at the business as a whole. But you guys also have a, a same kind of approach, right? So you helping to diagnose the weak points and, and the, you know, the, the sellable points, if you like, of your business is, is a fantastic conversation for anyone to have. I'm, I'm big fan of pushing people to do that whether or not they sign up with the person in the end and then the multiply me thing if people want to approach you for that then yeah where do they go for that yeah so multiplyme.com but mii.com and on that you get booked into cat who is our director of client engagements over at multiply mean she's amazing firstly but she will walk you through the process she'll also be more than happy to share any job descriptions around the roles that make sense for you as a business so you can sort of have an insight into well, what's a realistic accountability, responsibility and expectation to ask of, of talent. You know, like people come and they say, we need, we need a head of marketing. And, you know, one, once you sort of peel back a few questions, you realize that all they really wanted to do was drive more traffic externally to their product. And so really what you needed is, a Google AdWords specialist, for example, because they didn't want to invest in building a team that's required for SEO. So she'd be happy to have that conversation with you. And, you know, we're going to have in the coming weeks and months, we're going to have a lot more material on, on all of that, what the DNA of an Amazon business looks like from a personnel and operational perspective and a whole lot of things. So as soon as I've got them, Michael, I'd be happy to share them with you. Yeah, that'd be useful to have that conversation. What I would say to anyone listening is, is that, look, I mean, um, and total transparency a lot of i guess we have referral agreements in place we bring the guests on because part of what we're trying to do is get work but in the end 
if somebody who knows a lot of stuff is prepared to speak to you for free, I would always just take that offer for the simple reason you're going to educate yourself. I think this, apart from anything else, as you said towards the beginning of your needs, one of the things that happens is we just plunge in and we're doing stuff, but we have no idea what the industry is that we're in and, and the drivers of it. We have some ideas about the industry, I guess, but we don't really understand business structure and how that works because we've never been educated about it. And so I think that the chance to educate ourselves about it with people like yourself who's, who've worked for consultancies and, and hired serious consultants who, who understand corporate structure is just a great opportunity. So I would just encourage everybody listening to do it, period, if you have a serious Amazon business. And presumably you, you guys will only work with businesses above a certain kind of size or be able to help people above a certain size. I mean, what sort of, what, who's your sort of ideal person you can help the best? Yeah, so, I mean, across both businesses, the, the businesses we're working mostly with are the one percenters. So they'd be sort of doing over a million dollars in Amazon. But I mean, we're working with clients. On the Escala side, we're working with clients you know, some now north of 75 million annual revenue and we're working with probably six or seven aggregators right now helping build out their operational infrastructure too. And on the multiply me side, I would say that we're working with smaller clients as well than the million dollar threshold. That is more so, am I ready to actually bring someone on in a full-time capacity that's going to serve a function that I really don't want to be doing anymore and I can afford to pay someone, you know, anywhere from $1,200 a month to, I don't know, $2,500 a month, including all of the services would be sort of a, a baseline insight. Yeah. And by the way, that's incredibly affordable for somebody of the sorts of skills that, that we've been discussing. So one other thing just to sort of draw this to a close, we started and finished with the business model canvas. I fear I've taken us down a few rabbit holes here, but I think it is all part of the the kind of the pieces of the puzzle that we need to put together to, to create a sellable business or at least a business that somebody would want to own without going crazy. As you say, like 80 hour work weeks, probably not the title of a winning book for a good reason. <laughs> Unless like workaholics anonymous, you know, 80 hour work weeks, how to work your ass off and make no profit. That wouldn't sell very well. And yet that's the life a lot of us have created for ourselves. And I, I've been guilty of that as well. And my wife looks at me and goes, what the heck are you doing? And to which my response is, yeah, I can't justify this. We have to change this. So You've got a version of the business model canvas template. If you go to amazingfba.com forward slash multiply, M-U-L-T-I-P-L-Y, and just remind us what, what that's going to help us do or what, what that consists of in simple terms. Yeah, business model canvas, simply put, helps you put your conceptual business, that even if it's a product that you're looking for, into a single A4 sheet or letterhead, as they call it in the States, which will enable you to make good decisions on what does my audience look like, what's my revenue streams, what's who do I need, and what, what is my value proposition? What am I actually doing here as a business? Yeah, these are extremely important questions. And I think enables you to make good decisions is, is probably one of the key things that yeah people often just miss. They just do stuff. And actually, the, the more you want to work in management, I guess, the, and, and, and own an asset rather than work in it, the more you, you are going to earn your money by making decisions, right? Which is a very good point. Doing stuff is, is overrated, I guess, is the, one of the, the, the uh, things from this podcast. Also, I know you've got a two-year financial plan. And now I, I guess that, you know, it's impossible to give somebody everything they need without being a CPA. But if, you know, if somebody's needing that, what, what does that, that, that free tool do for you? Yeah, so that tool is something that we actually built out to plan a product launch that we had years ago in, inside of Amazon. So that takes you through everything from your 
operating expenses, your OPEXs to your landed cost calculator. It has in a two-year financial plan where you can actually drop inside of it examples of what your projected uh, sales price is, your targeted A costs, knowing that at the start it's typically going to be higher, and a few assumptions that will actually give you a two-year cash flow projection. You'll understand how much money you need to invest in the business, and you make better decisions rather than later on coming into it and saying, shit, I really needed half a million dollars, not $100,000. I didn't think that my PPC plus the reorders around the inventory we're going to factor in at this point. Any planning tool that helps you know realistically about the cash intensity or the, the working capital requirements for this business and the cash flow is has got my vote. So that's if you get that, folks, at amazingfba.com forward slash multiply, M-U-L-T-I-P-L-Y. I guess I could have spelled it the same as your website, but I just thought people would be scratching their heads. <laughs> so, but just to reiterate, your website is spelled M-U-L-T. Can you spell it out for me? Yeah, m- multiply, like you just spelt it, but instead of the M-E, it's M-I-I. So it's multiply M-I-I. Good. So we dodged that bullet with amazingfba.com forward slash multiply. We know how to spell multiply. So look, Yoni, we, we have so much we could discuss. I know that we, we didn't even get around to discussing how to grow a team in e-commerce, which given that you've scaled, you've been part of scaling a team from four to 140 people in a year, is extraordinary. So we have to get you back on to talk about that if, if you're willing. But let's wrap this up here. And just last question for you then is what question should I have asked? Well, I would say what question should you have asked, asked is how do you approach the recruiting, hiring and performance management of talent i would say that that's the question that i've actually been working very hard on to put some some material to support people so i can't give you all those answers in in a quick in a quick example here but what i will tell you is that um understanding the right hiring characteristics so what is the right person what do they look like understanding the right behavioral questions and you know what approaching active versus passive recruiting and then getting prepared for your interviews at a really high level in a very short, succinct way. Those are some of the key things that I'd say that's where you should really look at when you're getting ready. Don't just walk into an interview and expect that you'll have all the answers or the right answers. If you haven't planned for it, there you go, wrapping it all in together. I, I can certainly say from my experience of, of hiring, a, I was going to say VA, but, you know, a, a general assistant, I suppose. Oh, I, I guess they're yeah, content general marketing assistant. assistant. Yeah, general assistant, executive assistant is probably a, a better term. It, the traditional thing would be a PA as in a personal assistant. It's I guess people use VA because it sounds like PA, but the, the virtual piece kind of implies out of sight, out of mind. And that's dangerous thinking, isn't it? But I can certainly say as a rank amateur when I started with this, my first interview was a total car crash. And I remember going away thinking, wow, Mike, so for somebody who's interviewed a ton of people for a podcast, that was shockingly bad. And I sat down and I went through it with a with an HR professional and my next one was better. But yeah, the point is, it, it is an absolutely uh, new skill set. So we'll have to get back on to talk about that. But obviously, this could be the longest podcast in history if we, if we do any more about that. And I've got to make it absorbable for busy Amazon uh, sellers and, and e-commerce sellers. But yeah, it just remains for me to say a big thank you for making us think about the big picture. And I really love the message of the hustle culture is not the way to go. And and I think anyone who's burnt themselves out for more than a year, never mind several in this area, can absolutely attest to that. So the business model canvas thinking is is really helpful gift to give people to hopefully get back some time and get what they want without going nuts. So Danny, many, many thanks for coming on the show. 
thanks for having me and I hope people listening at home got some value out of it. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.